Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the hash. If you're watching on Coindesk TV, you are seeing Will Foxley's amazing puffer jacket. It is immaculate and large and blue. It's a beautiful (laughs) sight. That's Will. We got Jen Sinassi, Adam Levine, me, Zach Seward. Let's get to it. Will has an update on the FTX case. That's right. And this is, a, this is my mountaineering jacket and it is because I'm very, very cold in this office today. It's absolutely freezing <laughs> here, so I have to wear it. Okay. We are talking about your boy, SBF. He's back in the news with 12 indictments or allegations against him. Previously, we only had eight, which, you know, that's not too many. 12 is a little bit higher. And things look even worse. There's new indictments here, including a lot of stuff about how he gave political donations to people, did not disclose it correctly. There's also some new counts around wire fraud. All in all, the picture only becomes more bleak. There's some interesting information tidbits within the article you can find on Coindesk.com about these indictments, including how they were trying to give money to different groups in Washington, D.C., different PACs, how they were choosing to give these uh, donations out who they were giving the donations through during like FTX or through Alameda. Uh, it's a mess. It really is a mess, but it does shed some light into the actual like political functions within FTX and within Alameda itself. Like this was a fairly political organization. I'm going to throw this one over to Adam first. I want to get your take on it. Pretty interesting new findings this morning. I mean, I think that it's just the continued unraveling of a ball of yarn that we did not appreciate was quite as long as it has turned out to be. Again, like a significant facade was put forward here if the allegations wind up being true, that as time goes on, we're just seeing is more and more and more wrong. <laughs> so like it's, a, it's not a good story. It's not a good piece of news here, but I think it is a continuation. And to a certain extent, you know, I've said this in a while, my mother used to tell me, if you can't be a shining example, at least be a horrible warning. And I have to think that's kind of where we are in SBF's world right now is he went from being sort of what everybody aspires to be to being like the horror story that you really, really, really don't want to find yourself in the shoes of at this moment. So interesting, but uh, not too much else there. Zach? I'll toss it down to Will. Will. 
I got to fact check myself already. Bad day, bad day. It's not wire fraud in these cases, though. He does have wire fraud again. So the new indictments are actually for bank fraud. So similar, related, but different. Zach, back to you. Yeah, I mean, this is just, yeah, this is a crazy story that keeps getting crazier. There's some interesting details in here suggesting some of the inner workings of the FTX organization. Yeah, it's remarkable. It's remarkable to see this, you know, giving money out to political campaigns and causes, seemingly hedging their bets across the board, right? I think SBF established himself as a prominent donor to the Democratic Party, but clearly we're seeing these documents that the Republicans were also targeted, sort of hedging all bets, donating in all places, seemingly strategic, I guess, in the diversity of places in which they were spending their money. Interesting, nonetheless, that we get to see these details come out in court filings such as this. So anyway, I think that ball of yarn, the big ball of yarn that we keep seeing unspooling here really does stick with you. Um, Adam, I saw your hand. I'll toss it to you. So you said strategic. I think I would say cynical. I think that what we've seen here is that the persona that SPF put forward was sort of, again, a facade, but it was a facade that was intended to work in the most cynical way that you possibly could imagine, right? He signaled all the right things that you're supposed to signal. He, you know, he hated all the people who you're supposed to hate, uh, you know, and kind of just like put himself like into a mold that was exactly what sort of like mainstream reality wants. And then he just filled that archetype. And what we see here is that it was all a facade and that in reality, if the allegations are correct, there was really none of the belief there. It was just, hey, this is the most expedious way that I can arrange my, you know, myself and perception of me so that I can maximize my goals. But yeah, it's pretty wild. I think I saw a couple of hands. Zach, you want it back? I'll just take it quick and then I got to toss it to Jen. But I mean, it, I, it recalls that the, the, shibboleths, the shibboleths of woke media, the thing that came out with that early story uh, that was revealed through Twitter DMs that he thought he was talking to a reporter off the record, yeah. it was published, et cetera, right? And I think there is sort of an emerging consensus from people who are watching this story closely is that SBF didn't believe in anything. Therefore, he yeah. believed in everything, right? Uh, you know, I guess part of the philosophy was the ends justified the means, right? He was seeking to raise as much money as possible, uh, ostensibly or allegedly to do good in the world, right? With that money. And I think whatever got him to the point of most money, as dictated by his understanding of effective, effective altruism, was the right path to pursue. And I think that sort of believing in nothingness to me, was really exposed in that debate with Eric Voorhees, right? Who's sort of a true crypto libertarian. You know, famously, you know, SBF and Voorhees squared up on the Bankless podcast and, you know, batted these ideas back and forth. And it kind of became evident sort of at that time. This was before some of these damning revelations about the Alameda balance sheet. This was before all that. But even sort of that began to open a window onto the fact that maybe this was a bit more nihilistic than previous generations of crypto believers had built. So anyway, lots of good stuff to go here. But Jen, I've definitely got to get your word on this. Yeah, no, I think you guys all covered it. There was a source quoted in CNBC this morning who's familiar with the new counts that said that these could add another 40 years to the prison term for SBF if he is convicted of these. It's just crazy to look back over the last two years. You know, I know we keep bringing up that we had SBF on the show to know that all, all of these really allegedly scammy behaviors were going on behind the scenes and nothing that he was saying was effectively true allegedly it's just so frightening to see how far he was able to make it in this world and i think as i read more and more stories about sbf i wonder about those two people who put up some of that bail money for him not his parents i think it was the ex-dean 
of Stanford and then another ex-Stanford employee. I wonder how their reputation is going to get caught up in this. I don't think we've spoken about it on The Hash before. And if we did, I wasn't here. But uh, Adam, I'll pass it off to you for the next story. Yeah, two things. And then I'll toss it down to you, Will, and then we can move on. So one thing, just to talk about it, the the bail stuff, super weird, continues to be super weird. We've now it's now been revealed that indeed the two individuals of very, you know, of high net worth have actually not pledged anything close to the money that was supposed to actually be the bail amount, not even 10% of that, and they haven't paid anything. So there's like seven hundred thousand dollars worth of pledged funds if he runs, and the four million dollar nominal value of the California property that his parents have pledged. And that's it. So it's like there's there's this there's all kinds of weird stuff going on there. And then just the last thing is that the cynicism I actually agree with in most circumstances that that he has put forward. But it's not the sort of thing that you action on, right? It's the sort of thing that you're aware of because it's a reality of the market, right? Like that infamous comment that he made about how a lot of projects are Ponzi schemes, essentially. That's true. <laughs> a lot of projects are Ponzi schemes, but recognizing that typically means that as a person who recognizes it. You're like, so I'll avoid that and I'll tell other people to avoid it. Not, hey, that's a Ponzi scheme. Let me make all my bets on that and double down on it using my reputation. Apologies for going so long. Will, any final thoughts? One final thought here is that we got another Easter egg for how they kept like internal records in the document today so that they have like an internal Excel spreadsheet for keeping track of all these contributions. It's just funny to see a huge organization that was supposed to be worth Google like $30, $30 billion running on like Google Sheets, you know, like, come on, kind of pathetic. Okay, Adam, up to you. Yeah, that's classic. All right. So next up, customers of bankrupt crypto lender Voyager Digital may be less close to a deal than they may have thought. That's because according to new filings out yesterday, the New York financial regulator and the SEC are actually moving to stop the deal valued at more than a billion dollars that would see the US regulated Binance.us acquire bankrupt Voyager's assets and repay at least partially its former customers. So what's the holdup, you may be asking? The regulators, who are nominally charged with protecting investors, are alleging that at least one token involved with Voyager is in fact a security, and as a result of that, probably can't be distributed legally. The challenge here, of course, is that there's no actual determination that it is a security, and Voyager has complained in the past that the New York regulator in particular, that their claims here are hypocritical, because it's the regulator itself that would be the one causing delays in distributing of the token, again, because they're now saying that it's a security. In short, it is a mess. Will, what do you think here? Yeah, we talked about the story yesterday. So it's, it's funny to see it come back so quickly. And yesterday, there was an FTC announcement that there's a, a new legal document saying that they're investigating the marketing practices of Voyager. And so that definitely comes into play here, right? Like if you were marketing poorly, and then you have all these different people trying to buy things, this is like a mess all the way down, up and down this whole story. If we go back into the history books, right, for Voyager Digital, they declared bankruptcy, and then FTX was going to buy them. Then that fell apart. Now we have Binance US, but Binance US is caught in the middle of a bunch of things as well. They're supposed to just be like this operating licensed, not really a Binance subsidiary, but an exchange with the ability to claim that they're like associated with Binance. And then we had those details out the other week from, I believe, a Bloomberg or was a Reuters report saying that Binance US has been funneling a lot of money between Binance and Binance US. Like the relationship there and the amount of that money was still up for consideration and for some nuance. But it does mean that Binance US and Binance have a closer relationship than previously thought. And Binance is no friend of uh, US regulators, right? Like there's been an ongoing beef there. So if you just look at like the map, I would love to have a map of all these things. There's like a billion different relationships going between all these different parties. And none of them are really friendly relationships. On the SEC side here, that's definitely something to think about as well. 
because they are going after so many different projects right now. Like it is swatting season. They're going around with a hammer, hitting every project they can. And if they're going against this project and saying like, oh, we don't like some of these assets. We don't like how you're selling them. They could be like securities. Well, that could be an even bigger blow for the industry, which is already reeling from what happened with the SEC and Kraken the other day. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, this is just such a regulatory mess. So Adam, thank you for kind of walking us through the ins and outs of what's going on here. I just wish, and I have to say this every time we talk about the SEC, because maybe somebody will listen one day. I wish that instead of just going after all these people and essentially not protecting retail investors, not protecting the creditors, that they would just take some time to make some real documentation that lets us know what is a security and what is not a security as it pertains to digital assets. It would just make everyone's life so much easier. And it feels, it feels opportunistic from the regulator side. And, and it feels like, you know, if we don't set these rules now, what's going to happen during the next bull cycle when it comes to regulation? I just see it getting a lot messier. I think an interesting point in the story for me was that Voyager creditors voted for this sale. I think it was more than 97% voted yes. And now the regulator is coming in and delaying this whole thing. So it's just delaying people getting their money back, which seems very counterproductive from a regulatory standpoint for me. Zach? Hot take, go after exchange tokens. They trade like bootleg securities. They should be treated as such. That way, the things that are actually real and important, like stable coins, can exist unperturbed. While the bootleg securities, the sell tokens, the Voyager tokens, the BNBs of the world can be targeted as such. It's just silly to me, right? You see news about something happening to Voyager and you know the value of Voyager pumps or dumps. You see, it's like the market treats these things as though they are an indicator of a company's health. And I think that that's a terrible look for someone who's going to assert that these are utility tokens that provide function to a platform's traders. I think they're kind of silly. And I think they are sort of this vestigial thing that emerged with the launch of BNB way back when that probably aren't going to stand up to the scrutiny of the Howey test or any of the other prongs that securities lawyers within the government look at when they try to figure out if it's a security or not. If you can expect this thing to grow in value based on someone else's work. So hot take, go after the exchange tokens, please SEC, leave stable coins alone. And, but this is a great place to focus. That's all I got to say. Adam. I think the, the biggest challenge around all of this is that were that the perspective of the regulators, then that would be a totally reasonable perspective that I think would have broad buy-in, but that's not. The perspective of the regulators is essentially everything is a security unless we say it's something else, in which case it's that until we say it's something else. There was a story out yesterday about a, an action from uh, the uh, New York Department of Financial Services talking about the Coin, uh, CoinMe exchange or something like that, some smaller exchange. And essentially in that uh, argument, one of the quotes was that they talk about how tokens are both securities and then also commodities, which they can't be both because those are two different definitions. A commodity is valuable because of what it is. A security is valuable because of what it represents in somebody else's thing. So if the regulators can't even get their act together to say, hey, these two completely contradictory definitions actually don't apply here. It's just an argument that these things are something that's unique and they need a different regime than the ones that we have. And right now we just see everybody trying to pile everything on top of these, which then leads to situations like this, which are essentially nonsensical and help nobody. It hurt a lot of people, but we can move on. Correction from control. It's CoinX, not CoinMe, sir. Thank you. Calling all early stage crypto, blockchain, and Web3 startups, teams, and builders. 
Apply to Coindesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud, and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. All right, let's talk about Coinbase. Coinbase is getting into the base layer business. First, you got coin, the stock. Now you have base, the L2, based on optimism that allows developers to build stuff. They're incubating this effort initially, and then they plan to progressively decentralize it over time. I think this is a really interesting move from a pillar of the centralized finance scene. This is pretty crazy that Coinbase is launching its own L2. It's base. It's called base. Anyway, <laughs> I'm tossing it to Will. What do you think this is about? This like Is this sort of like how you decentralize CeFi and how you get developers to build in your playground, what is, what is going on here? What's your take? This is a pretty interesting project for a few different reasons. The first of all is the fact that they're using code to do something that traditionally has been done by financial services, right? People with licenses in buildings in different places around the US. All those people are being replaced by an L2. They're all being replaced by automation. This is what the promise of smart contracts was. A lot of people think about smart contracts. They think about Ethereum. They think about, well, maybe I can launch this token or I can have this thing automated. Things like Slocket, just throw it back to Adam's old days in the industry, right? Those things were around. Well, now we're kind of past that, right? We're getting really to where Ethereum or Vitalik and other builders were seeing automated financial services, if you will. And that's what this whole project does. So basically, they have taken Optimism, an L2 roll-up on top of Ethereum. Essentially, you can think of it as a smart contract that allows you to move more funds uh, more quickly, and then settle down to Ethereum. So you maintain the same security, but you're able to have more transactions. Important thing about this is they're not going to have their own token for it. They're having Ethereum as the gas for this. So whenever you need to pay transaction, we have to have a transaction fee. We call that gas and Ethereum. A lot of times different projects launch their own token associated with that. You have to pay in that token in order to use the smart contract. Coinbase said no. And I think they said no for a few reasons, probably most of them having to do with regulations. They're going to keep Ethereum, which I think we more or less know as a commodity these days, sort of moved from security land to commodity land over its decentralization process. And that's an important note here in this story. And on top of it, I think it just gives more credence to this L2 thesis, which Ethereum's have been working on for the last three or four years. The fact that there's not going to be a bunch of chains. You're just going to build your chains on top of them and everything will accrue to the Ethereum ecosystem. This is a pretty big launch this morning. I don't think we can really underhype it. I'm going to throw it up to Adam. I think that this is a big deal. I also think that it continues to show that of the sort of like bigger companies that are out there, Coinbase continues to sort of just like put their head down and just like walk directly into the wave that has been now hitting them for years and years and certainly is bigger this year than it was last year. There's a couple of things here. The first off is that there are significant values to be found in ecosystems. And it's not surprising to me that they would be accepting Ether as a transaction processing mechanism because Ether is real money. Whereas a token that they created just for that purpose would perhaps perform the function of money, but is very unlikely to actually become something that is broadly used. So this is actually a way for them to generate revenue, since I suspect they will be at least some of the parties who are processing these transactions. So that makes a ton of sense to me. The second thing is that as regulation comes down increasingly on these companies who are US-based and who have decided to go for that, decentralization actually does look like it is likely to be a technique to ameliorate 
uh, some of the worst parts of the regulatory environment, right? If you can say that, hey, you know, Kraken over there actually abstracted and made it simple for people to use their staking service, but in doing so, they provided what the SEC will determine to be a security. Well, if Coinbase can put together a system that doesn't do that, as it seems that perhaps they already have, then that's really valuable for a company like that. And it's especially valuable if you can then generalize that and expand it out sort of to many other potential products that either you or somebody else could build. So I see lots of, lots of good reasons for them to do this, and it makes total sense to me. Down to you, Jen. Yeah, I'll go super quick. I want to get Zach in here too. I think it's so cool that it's not limited to Ethereum, right? There's say like Solana, Optimism, other chains are involved. I don't know what those others are. But if you think about developers who are building and they want to attract this like next billion users into these ecosystems, I think Coinbase is maybe the right brand to get behind that, right? They're a public company. They're regulated. They're one of the more well-known names in the mainstream. And so I think this is really cool. I think that they're thinking about this in a in a really smart way. And if they can provide that solution for developers to make things faster, cheaper, and more accessible, I think that's super cool. Zach? I just wanted to be the guy who's going to be like, it's time for some game theory and then throw it to Adam about the regulatory stuff. Because I think that really is the interesting extrapolation here, right? If you can decentralize Coinbase out of existence one day, maybe some of the real value proposition of this technology can exist despite the regulatory hurdles that are increasingly being thrown up here in the US. Anyway, that's it. Adam said it. I'm going to toss it back to you, Jen. You got the last story. All right. We are sticking with the regulation theme here. And we're going to NBA Top Shots. We haven't spoken about them in a while. They could be securities according to a federal judge. So this ruling is on a motion to dismiss that comes over a year after a class action lawsuit was filed against Dapper Labs and its CEO, Roham Gargalu in New York. The suit claims that both parties violated federal securities laws by offering the NFT collection. District Judge Victor Marrero said the court finds the plaintiff's allegations render each considering under Howie facially plausible. I think I may have missed a word there, but we get it. Dapper filed the motion to dismiss in September, saying that their collection of digital basketball cards are not securities. Adam, I'm going to toss this one off to you. We have two arguments here. We have the judge saying this actually ticks all four boxes of the Howie test. And then we have Dapper saying these are digital basketball cards and digital cards are not securities. What do you make of this? Yeah, so I'm not a lawyer. I suspect that everybody has the same take right now because it's one that's been pretty common going around. My understanding of this particular ruling is that actually this was the judge choosing not to just dismiss the case. So as part of that, he's saying that on its face, yes, in fact, these could be securities. That doesn't mean he's finding that they are securities, and that wasn't even really the question that was at work there. The question was, can this lawsuit go forward And the answer was, yes, this lawsuit can go forward. And so at court, we may get some answers or may get some, you know, some type of indication in terms of what this will wind up being determined. But that is, in fact, the question that will go to trial is, are these things securities? If they are securities, then Dapper is going to find itself in trouble. If they're not, then there's really no case to be had there. Uh, Kicking it over to you, Zach. I mean, wait, aren't they kind of like talking past each other here? Because like the allegation as far as I can tell from the story, is that the Flow token, the native token of the Flow blockchain, which in turn supports applications like NBA Top Shot, the Flow thing is the securities thing. So that to me, I guess, maybe more arguable than the NFT part, but I could be misinterpreting what is at stake here. But the two statements seem to be like apples and oranges. The judge is like, well, here's the Flow token, blah, 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 blah. 
And then the dapper lawyers are like, basketball cards aren't securities, which is like, yeah, that's, that's probably defensible. But like, so anyway, I, I just wanted to clarify if these folks are on the same page, if we're talking about the NFTs themselves, or if we're just talking about flow. Jan, I'll toss it to you. So that's what's kind of unclear in the story. They are talking about the moments collection, but the flow token gets roped into the back and forth because the utility token is used in transactions. And so they're saying that like the two kind of work together. Adam, I'll pass it back to you. I don't know if you can explain that a little bit better than I am. Well, so no, I think you did a great job of that. Just the one piece of context that I would provide is that a year and a half ago, two years ago, can't remember. Anyways, during the last bull market, I actually tried to buy some flow tokens because I was quite interested in that project because the NBA thing was a big deal to me. And I was not able to as a US citizen. So even if they are considered a security, there's lots of extenuating factors where they actually took proactive steps to prevent people from buying them in the US, which would then mean that there is no actual jurisdiction here unless they can find victims. So I think that we are talking specifically about the moments. And I think that the reason why they're being put forward as securities is because they're making an argument that they passed the Howey test, right? That they actually constituted an investment contract. So once you've got that, then suddenly there's a case to be had there. But if you can't make the argument that these are securities and instead you're arguing that, hey, I bought baseball cards from someone and I want my money back, well, that's a much worse case that you're probably going to lose. So with that said, uh, any final thoughts? No, I'm rapping. Count me down. That's it for the hashtag. We'll see you tomorrow. Zach, Adam, Jen, Will, wishing you a good day. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.